0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I'm preaching this morning on the power of worship. The power of worship. I want to read three passages of scripture. The first is from Exodus chapter 30. If you'll turn there, Exodus chapter 30, beginning with verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, take unto these sweet spices, stacti and onicha and galbanum, and these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each, there shall be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a perfume after the art of the perfumer, tempered together pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto thee most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make it to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whoever shall make it like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. It's an odd little verse of scripture. Let me just say what it means before we turn to the next one. That the intimacy of worship, the oil of anointing that was put upon the furniture in the house of worship, in the tabernacle, would be so aromatic, it will smell so good that you will be tempted to make some, not for worship, but to put upon your own flesh. Because it'll make you smell good. And God says, if you do that, that it, you will lose the, you'll be cut off. you lose intimacy with God, and you lose intimacy with the people of God. Now, Psalm 100 is our next passage. I think most of you know it, but it, let's read it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. And then finally, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them. Them means Paul and Silas. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them, meaning the other prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the door prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm. We are all here. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I'm praying that you will so quicken our hearts and our spirits and enliven our minds that we may receive of your word through the power of your spirit. I yield myself to you as fully as I know how to do, and I'm asking you to use me. But I am so convinced that it is your property to commune with your children. That if there's no way you can speak through me this morning, I believe you'll speak in spite of me. That when we leave here today, we will say, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. I thank you for it in advance, in the wonderful name, Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. The word worship itself is interesting. It derives from Middle English, from ancient English, meaning the ability to discern what things are really worth. We still use a var- variation of it. In other words, leadership is the ability to lead. Statesmanship is the ability of a, a, say, an ambassador to represent the state. Churchmanship is the ability to live in the community of faith, to, how to serve and how to give and how, how to, to do the things that make us churchmen. Churchmanship. So worship is the ability to discern what is really worthy, what is worth our adoration, praise, and veneration. So true worship is actually the discernment of the value of God. Hence, worship is not simply something that we do. Now listen to this. It's very important. In the Charismatic and Pentecostal world, we often have made singing in church and worship entirely synonymous. So singing in church ought to be worship, but not all worship is singing in church. There are all kinds of worship, but worship must have an object. In other words, just the fact that we are singing a worship chorus here doesn't make it vertical worship. The, the worship is fixed on God. He is the object of our worship. That frees us from the obligation for worship to be a feel-good experience. See, Jonathan's job title is worship leader. It's not director of goosebumps. We don't have that job title. If we impose upon the worship team the obligation to create a sensation in us, we actually force them to become Dr. Feelgood and the Traveling Medicine Show. Worship is not about what we feel. Worship is about whom we adore. That's of critical importance. Now, the challenge is this, and the book of Exodus makes it clear, it does feel good. That's the challenge. That's the complicating factor. God said, when you make the oil of worship and put it on the furniture in the tabernacle, it will smell so good to you, it will invade your olfactory senses. It will smell so good to you that you will be tempted to make some and put it on you so that you'll smell good. In other words, there is a discernible sense often there is a discernible sensory reaction to worship. Surely, I'm not the only one among the thousands and thousands here in this auditorium and in our others and online that have ever in the midst of a worship experience just felt the presence of God. You feel it in your body. You feel it in your flesh. You can feel that. God says there's nothing wrong with that. But that cannot become the object. Otherwise, you will make it the object of your worship and not Him who is God Almighty. That's extremely important. Now, the second conflict that we experience with worship is this. We want it to be good. We didn't read all of it, but you can read page after page, chapter after chapter in Exodus and Leviticus on how to do worship, how to get it right, how to build things, how to get the drapes right, how to get the furniture right, how to build things right, how to get it exactly right, what to wear. Page after page after page to get it right. But God says, again, that's not the object. So we struggle with that. Everybody in leadership on this platform and every platform in America struggles with that reality. This worship team, as great as they are, as talented as they are, do you for one moment think that they get up on this platform about five minutes before the worship service starts? Say, well, I don't know. Everybody just sing whatever you think. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes in that. That takes time. They want it to be right. They want it to be good. But getting it good isn't the purpose. Preachers struggle with the same thing. I I work at preaching. I don't just stand up here and blather. I work at this. I prepare. I study. I know that some of you think, well, it doesn't seem like he works at it. (laughs) But you don't know how bad I would have been if I hadn't worked. I want the sermon to be good. I want it to be structured. I want it to be ordered. I want it to be well illustrated. But I have to know that that's not the point. The point is not getting a good sermon, though I want it to be good. The purpose is not having good music, though we want it to be good. We want excellence in all that we do for the Lord. How about that video we just saw about at the movies? Look, that didn't happen in 30 seconds. That, was, that wasn't a church video. That was a Technicolor movie. I was pretty excited. I thought, man, they're fixing to bust a cap in this guy. <laughs> it was pretty tense, you know. It's our target. I said, oh, man, this is good. No, that, that was work. We work at this. We work at worship. But our work is not the point. The excellence with which we sing is not the point. The next is this. The nature of our personal worship, our expression of worship, personally, individually, may tell us more about our own personalities than the depth of our devotion. I had a good friend, and he he was the most calm person I've ever known in my life. Have you ever, have you ever known anybody that was so calm that you had the feeling you, (laughs) okay? I had the feeling I could say to him, you just won $500 million lottery. And he would say, well, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Would you react that way? Any of you has... The news that I have won a $500 million lottery. Do not wait for the altar call. Arise and come to me now. (laughs) Because I'm going to show you some excitement. (laughs) By the same token, I had the feeling I could say to my friend, your house just burned down. Your car exploded in the garage. All your money is gone. Identity theft has happened. They've emptied your bank account. And I had the feeling he'd say, "Mm, now that's not too good. It's a flatliner. There are just people that aren't very expressive. There are other people that have a short fuse. They're ready to go off at any moment. And that can actually inform the way we worship more than the depth of our devotion. So there's somebody beside you that's quiet and meek and, you know, you're jumping up and down, and I had one of the students say to me, Dr. Rutland, I never see you jump up and down. You don't dance. I said, baby, it's in my heart. It's not in my hips. (laughs) But you're, look, you're a dancer. You're a jumper. Hallelujah to Jesus. We set you free. (laughs) Go, man, go. Let me just say this to you. I'm a more restrained person. You ever see old Dr. Mark running these aisles and jumping the pews? You need to get happy because Jesus is coming. But the fact that one runs or jumps or dances or falls in the floor doesn't mean that one loves Jesus or worships Jesus any more in depth than the one who is quiet. Allison, my wife Allison, she is she's one of those people that enjoys this profound intimacy with God. And when worship really begins, when she really begins to move into worship, she doesn't get louder, she gets quieter. She's she kind of snuggles down with Jesus. Is is, Is that okay? That's the wonderful thing about a church like Free Chapel, where there is liberty, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. That's a wonderful thing about it. Now, furthermore, there are various kinds of worship. I want to deal particularly with public worship now. The singing. I want to give you a few practical thoughts on singing. One is when, when you sing worship courses, don't just think about the singing as you can. Think about the words what are you actually singing? Think about it. Direct them. Take, take the initiative to direct your words, your thought, and your worship to God. Try to fasten on what you're saying. The second is this. John Wesley wrote an article in the late 1700s, a very practical article about singing in church. And, and the wisdom of it has never been excelled. He said, look, if you can really sing well, you need to sing a little louder in the congregation. How many of you here can say, I'm not talking about you want to be on the worship team or something, but you can sing and carry the tune and sing pretty well. Will you raise your hand? Come on, three. No, come on, raise your hand. There they are. There they are. Okay, look, sing a little louder. We need you to keep us on key. How many of you are with me? The vast host of the tone deaf. I have hidden talent. I can play the radio off key. Okay, John Wesley says, if you can sing, if you can find the tune, find it and sing a little louder. He says, those of you that are maybe not so talented, sing... Sing a little softer. <laughs> then there is the use of scripture. To say scripture aloud, to repeat it, to use it as a, as a responsive reading, to, to defeat the enemy, to, to claim scripture as a promise. We had that this morning for the offertory. We read that scripture aloud together. That's an act of worship. To say God's word back to him. There, there are creeds, responses, responsive readings where we, the leader says something and the audience responds back and forth. There, there are statements of, of, um, of faith. One of the most famous and best known ministries in, in the whole United States uses one every single Sunday. You know it. This is my Bible. That's a statement of faith. Joel leads us in every single Sunday when we watch him on TV. That's a statement of faith. Then there are creedal statements, like, say, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The Apostles' Creed. I'm not saying that we have to have the... Apostles' Creed is a part of our Sunday to Sunday liturgy in every charismatic and Pentecostal church in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it is a legitimate act of worship. And it wouldn't hurt anything for a few charismatics somewhere to know what they believe. (laughs) I'm just saying. There's clapping, shouting, dancing, waving. I got kind of jumped not too long ago by a preacher who watches free chapel online. He said, you know, I don't like your church. I don't like. He said, I like the preaching. I like Jensen. He said, I like when you preach. He said, I don't like all that clapping. And I said, why not? He said, it's just not in the Bible. I, I said, well, the problem is it like is in the Bible. <laughs> Clap your hands. All ye people shout unto God with the voice of triumph. <clears throat> that is in the Bible. Waving. We, we, man, you ever see people in the worships and they're just waving like that? That's, that's biblical. We didn't invent that. We, we, that's, that's biblical. It's called a wave offering. It's, it's included in the directions for how to celebrate the feasts, of the ancient Feasts of Israel, a wave offering. We're going to do one right now. I want all the people on the end of this row right here and going up in that last section. Not all, of you. all over here. I want you to put your hands up like that. No, no, not you. Just right on the end, right up there. Follow directions. Stay with me now. Right here. Okay, that's it. Now we're going to start a wave. We're going to go this way. All right, here we go. Come on, this way, right across. Come on, here we go, right across. This way, right now, right back. Come on, let's go back. Here we go. Come on, this way, right across. Here, there we go. Come on, give Jesus a praise this morning. <laughs> praise God. The Atlanta Braves didn't invent the wave. <laughs> the Hebrews invented it. Anyway, I want to I want to give a wave offering for a team that wins. Yeah. Come on, yeah. calm down, and then offerings giving is an act of worship. That's why we giving here. You know their churches. Yeah, we I wish that everybody, every layman in the world, could stand up on the platform and watch the offering taken at their church. And see people, and the offering plate goes by. There you go. There's your dollar. I hope you're happy. That just how how is that worship? That's that's the reason. We're not going to take one now, but that's the reason in Free Chapel we say it's time for the offering because it's it's joy. It's joy to worship God with giving. Not just, not just your tithe, the tithe is the Lord's. But offerings. What about a, a, a thank offering? I was preaching at a large, uh, church in Nigeria one time, and in the middle of the worship service, a lady kind of danced up the aisle. She had a chicken in her hand, a live chicken, had the wings bent back like this and tied, and two eggs. A chicken, I'm, I'm assuming that we had source and product all at one time, I'm, I'm assuming. But she kind of danced up the island. She was weeping, just weeping. She came forward and put that live chicken and those eggs on the altar and danced back. And she was weeping. And I was up on the platform with the pastor. I said, now, what is that about? (laughs) Oh, he said, I know that lady. He said, she raises chickens and she's had a lot of disease in her poultry and everything. And she said, he said, she hasn't been able to give an offering for a long time, but the chickens have been healed. And this morning, she's just grateful that she can give a chicken and two eggs. (laughs) Offering should be joyful worship. What about a love offering? A love offering. That, that if there's a mission project or something, we say, I just feel the love of God for that. I want to make a love offering. I want to give beyond my tithe, a, a, a thank offering. That new baby is born. I want to thank you, God. The baby came. He, he's safe. The, the mother is safe. I want to just make a special offering way beyond my tithe. I want to make a thank offering. Or something even more important than the birth of a baby, the birth of a grandchild. That's the, that's the real one. I get to rejoice and take credit, and I don't have any responsibility. It's a wonder. That's a moment. No, that's a moment to make a thank offering. And then there is liturgical prayer. that's, that's That's a phrase that just sounds, clangs on the ears of Pentecostals and Charismatics. Public prayer we pray together. People pray together aloud in the midst of the liturgy, the, the mechanism of the service. They'll say that just, that just won't go in modern young charismatic God. Well, just imagine this. What if there was a, what if there was a pretty high octane anointed charismatic church leader who would lead 13,000 teenagers in the Lord's Prayer? Wonder what Wonder what that would look like? It look like this. So, just raise your hands high toward heaven and let's pray this prayer. Ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now look at the kids. Watch the kids. Amen. Let's give Jesus the biggest praise of the morning. Come on, lift it up high. Yeah. 13,000 teenagers quietly praying a liturgical prayer together. No, I know, I know, look, I know, Tina, they like you to crank it up. It's great to crank it up. The Bible says, this is in Ecclesiastes, a lot of people don't, Ecclesiastes, a lot of people don't know this verse. It's in the Bible. There is a time to crank it up. <laughs> and there is a time to pray quietly. That's in the Bible, kind of. <laughs> now finally, in closing, What about the power of worship in our lives? The power of worship in our lives. We want to worship God. We want God to be blessed in worship. But we are what we are. To whatever extent, carnal and egocentric in everything that we do, we tend to ask at some point or another, yes, but what does it do for me? There is power. That is unleashed in worship, even in our lives. First of all, worship, when it is least likely, least logical in your life, confuses the enemy. We're not going to. I'm not preaching on it this morning, so we're not going to go to it and look it all up and go with the details of it. But in in uh, two Chronicles chapter two, there is a story of the people of God that are attacked by three armies all at the same time, and they're hopelessly outnumbered. They're finished. And God speaks to the king and he says, We're gonna go out against them, but we're sending the worship team out first. You know, I have never heard a worship leader applaud that one. <laughs> Ever. So we're all we're going out, everybody get your guns, and you your machine guns, everything else. Everybody get ready, get armed. But you guys with the guitars, you lead the way. <laughs> but they do, and as they march out. The fact that they are praising when they are obviously defeated confuses their enemy. And and this army says, wait a minute now, they shouldn't be singing like that. They don't have anything to sing about. They've tricked us. They've signed a secret treaty with this army or they wouldn't be singing. So they attack them and wipe them out. These guys over here say, whoa, that's a double cross. They didn't attack the Jews, they attacked them. They'll come after us first, and so they attack, and they all kill each other. And they march back into the city without firing a single shot, and the guys on the guitars all said, we won that battle. <laughs> Look, when, when you're facing hard times in your life, distress and stress and things that are going on in your life and your family and, and hardship and, and praise makes no sense, your worship, if you will take time to worship God, it confuses the enemy. Satan doesn't know what to do with your worship. He didn't know how to handle that. I, I don't know if any of you are disturbed as I am. I, but I just love far side cartoons. Is that, that's an awful thing to admit, isn't it? But there's this one cartoon, my favorite of all the far side cartoons. It's obviously hell. There's flames and ash and everything else, and people are all digging and suffering and everything, and there's these two demons that are over here watching a guy, and he's got a wheelbarrow full of steaming ash and flames everywhere, and he's just walking along whistling like this. And the one demon says to the other one, so we are not reaching this guy. When you worship God in the worst time of your life, Satan says, we're not reaching this guy. Secondly, worship touches the heart of God. If all of these summons to worship, come before the Lord is singing, worship the Lord. If all of those, all of the Bible is filled with admonitions to worship, it must be because God likes our worship. He wants our worship. He is touched when we worship. Now, that doesn't make God into some needy neurotic up in heaven saying, Oh, nobody loves me. Come on, somebody. Come on, sing my name. Sing my name. It is that God is holy, he is awesome, he is righteous, and not to worship him is the anomaly. So God is blessed. When we worship, it does touch the heart of God. Finally, when we worship, it not only confuses the enemy and touches the heart of God, it moves the hand of God. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been humiliated stripped naked in a public street, beaten within an inch of their lives, taken to prison. They've done nothing but preach, thrown in prison, in the inner prison, down in the very bottom, in the basement cell, in chains, hand and feet, locked up. I I try to be honest with you. I try to get in touch with my own carnality. I wonder if I was locked up, like beaten naked and humiliated and in chains, I wonder if I would say, Man, this is a great moment to worship. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wonder about myself. Or would I, Lord, I'm trying to preach your gospel. This is what I get. <laughs> Am I the only one? But not Paul and Silas. Paul says, Let's worship the Lord, let's worship God. Silas is, Silas is the associate pastor. He says, I just, you know, you lead. <laughs> and they start singing. I wonder what they sang. Some joyful, happy song in worship in Hebrew, and they're clinking their chains together. <laughs> and the other prisoners, the Bible states specifically the other prisoners could hear them. They're all in the upper tiers. That say, the boys in cell block B are into the happy juice. And there's an earthquake that shakes it open and their chains are broken. And they're free. Worship not only touches the heart of God, worship moves the hand of God. When we worship, he acts. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at DrMarkRutland or visit his website, DrMarkRutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.